Welcome back to another episode of the Converge podcast, where we seek to help you have a Christian worldview in a post-Christian culture. My name is Steve. My name is Nate. And we're here to help you find the intersection of mission and doctrine. Oops, staring it in. Once again, welcome to the Converge Podcast. We're here today to talk specifically about a article that came out out a few months ago from a guy named Aaron Wren, who is a Christian, but he is mostly a social commentator. He runs a newsletter called The Masculinist, uh, dealing with ma- issues of masculinity, uh, issues of patriarch, uh, the patriarchy, and really kind of offering some critique, some summary of things that are going on inside of Christian culture. And one thing that he has written that has uh, kicked off some debate, but it has really been widely uh, accepted, uh, is the view of the world of Christianity. And he breaks it down into three different views. Um, he calls them positive world, neutral world, and negative world. And I know that um, on different podcasts, we have briefly mm-hmm. uh, mentioned uh, this stuff. I know that even in a sermon uh, a month or two ago, I I used him as a summary talking about, you know, that we're living in what really is a negative world where people viewing Christianity is concerned. Uh, But we thought it would be helpful to kind of break down how uh, this works. Yeah, I think it's a very helpful framework for understanding how the church is perceived in society and what that means for us now in terms of ministry, in terms of how we disciple our kids, in terms of how we relate to our coworkers and neighbors. So it's very helpful. And the thing to understand is it's helpful to see one, how we got here, but that's really the minor part. The bigger part is to see where we are now. So the how we got here part, and we'll cover that, uh, is, you know, for a long time, Christianity was in a positive world. We transitioned within our lifetimes, which we'll talk about this, to a neutral world, and now we find ourselves in a negative world. So we're just going to walk out what those terms mean, kind of talk about the history of that, and ultimately where we're landing, though, is what does it mean to be in a negative world? Because that context comes up a lot in a lot of other issues that we address uh, in this podcast and in ministry in general. Yeah, I think this this will be helpful because I think one thing that mostly adults uh, have a difficult time doing is catching up with social change. Yeah. And so what happens is most people are lagging behind. And so you think that you're living in one world. You would even in conversation admit that the world is changing, that uh, things are changing, that the landscape is changing, but still have a difficult time understanding how does that impact uh, living the mission of Jesus in this world, evangelism in this world, how you're raising your family right. in this world. And so there are a plethora of issues that that this impacts. I think for us, um, we started noticing this. The, back in 2013, there was a book that actually came out called The Great Evangelical Recession. Mm, yeah. And I think that was a very helpful book specifically for what we were dealing with at that time, a growing church plant that we had just started trying to figure out what was the best way to, as we would have put it back then, engage the culture around us with the gospel. And The Great Evangelical Recession was a book not written by Aaron Wren, but it pointed out um, six issues in the culture around us that is going to impact evangelicalism as a whole and how we should adjust accordingly. And what one of the most important things that it pointed out is the speed by which culture changes has magnified, I think it was something like by a thousand times, yeah. 
what used to take a thousand years uh, where social change was concerned uh, now takes about 10 years. And then in some instances, what used to take, you know, a hundred years now takes less than one year where social change is concerned. And one thing that Christians specifically have a difficult time with because living, you know, what, what Christ tells us to be in the world, but not of the world, that has a lot of tension in it. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult in application. It's very difficult when you've started setting out making this decision for your family, making this decision for your life, and then very quickly what has happened, I mean, especially over the last decade, if not just over the past five years, is that everything has been shaken up. Everything where society is concerned has changed, and a lot of people are having a hard time keeping up with it. Absolutely. I think here's the reason why uh, our listeners should care about this topic. Uh, We have observed... Far too many people over our 13 plus, I mean, it's been more years of ministry, but 13 plus years at Village Church, uh, shipwreck and very much damage their faith over the issue of thinking, well, that turned out okay for me. So I'm going to keep doing that or mm-hmm. I'm going to do that with my kids because I turned out okay. Um, that sentimentality in a time of rapid cultural change will really mess you up real quick. And so we want to have a framework for talking about, yes, culture is changing rapidly and here's why. And I do think people get caught up in this. Here's the kernel of truth. Okay. Yes. The church has been through tough times before, like pagan Rome was awful. There's been so many instances of church history where you could look at an individual instance and say, in many ways, we have it better than them, but don't allow that kernel of truth to cause you to be naive about the rapid cultural change we're facing now. Our situation now, and this is what this is going to show, is different, and I'm very comfortable saying this, is different than any Christian um, community has ever faced before, because no Christian community has ever gone in such rapid succession from positive world to neutral world to negative world. We're the first to experience that, so we're kind of blazing a trail in that, and what we're trying to figure out, and what this is going to help people understand is how do we be faithful in that context. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I think uh, when we say this, some people might hear us talking about the difference between like Generation X, Millennials, Xennials. Uh, that's not what we're talking about at all. I'm not talking about the difference between growing up with the internet, growing up without the internet, growing yeah. up with cell phones or without. Technological advancement does feed into this type of cultural change, but we're talking about real social change mm-hmm. in the sense of how people view Christians in society. Yep. And so to start with, let's uh, let's unpack what it was like in the positive world. Okay. Positive world is most of church history. Positive world, what that means is the culture around the church, and this has been true um, since four or 500 AD, all up through the, the Catholic church, through the Reformation, all the way, uh, Ren would put this all the way into the early 1990s, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is very recent, um, that the, ch- the culture at large has viewed the church positively. This does not mean that the culture was always Christian. And in fact, in many ways, it wasn't. This does not mean that the culture always practiced morality, as the church would posit. But it does mean the culture al- has always, because of the influence of the church, the culture has viewed the church and Christian morality in a positive way to the extent that it is socially beneficial to be a Christian. So you see this in very practical ways, like with politicians, they would 
always need to at least pretend to be Christian. Or you'd see uh, businessmen, you know, joining churches for the sake of being able to say in business relationships, yes, I'm a Baptist or yes, I'm a Methodist, something like that. It was positive. And then, of course, you saw it in uh, pop culture. You know, it's it does pop culture was in no means Christian, but it is also not anti-Christian. It also understood that there was a baseline morality that the church uh, promotes that is a good thing. So that's positive world. Yeah, people, unchristian and Christian, would root <clears throat> their version of morality in the scriptures. Yeah. And so the Ten Commandments for, and, and if you just break this down to American history, even if we go more recent to just post-World War II, mm-hmm. so we're dealing with the late 1940s through uh, early to mid-1990s, there was an understanding in the United States, culturally speaking, that we were a people that did not lie because thou shalt not lie. You know, you don't murder because the scripture points out that murder is a sin. And so much of our understanding of morality was built on what people even today will point back to the founding fathers and say there was a Judeo-Christian ethic. And even for people that were non-Christians, they would exist in a world and they would determine what was right and what was wrong by this Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you looked at, you know, things of entertainment, on down the line, there were things that were not allowed because it was against the Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you were wanted to be of a certain stature, there was a period of time where if you were going to be the president, one of the questions you would ask is, what church are you a member of? Yep. And so it was a net gain for you to be identified as a Christian. There was a place in society where if you were a Christian, you were seen as a good, moral, upstanding citizen. Yep. And so uh, what this ends up looking like then is how you do ministry in this environment is very different because you can expect that the people that you are conversing with, people that you are trying to reach, that in general, they agree with you about Christian morality. Now, this does not mean that they are not in rebellion to it because of their sinful nature. This does not mean that there are not pockets of rebellion everywhere, but it just means that the general flow of culture is actually towards Christian morality. Now, people still need to be converted, so uh, people still need to understand grace and faith and all of that, but the general flow of culture is going to push people, if they just go with it, towards um, understanding Christian morality as a good thing and understanding a rejection of Christian morality as a bad thing. Yeah, and it was it's interesting to see what how some people react to the reality that now we live in an era where Christianity does not have that footing where society is concerned. And some people say, oh, that's good because that will get rid of the fake Christians. That will get rid of the, you know, the squishy middle is what it's often called or the nominal Christians. But what is missed in that is that the effect of a positive view of Christianity in society, it does have a sanctifying effect on the culture at large. It aids the culture in setting a precedence where everyone across the board agrees that there are certain things that simply are true. Yeah. And they're self-affirming truths, the existence of God, the necessity of specific types of morality. And this did act as a sanctifying element and even a unifying element where society was concerned. Yeah. And here's another thing. And I'm Say this and kind of move on. But I think people miss this. Um, I have heard many times over the last decade that uh, there's no one harder to save than a nominal Christian that doesn't know they're a Christian. That's not true. Right. 
nominal Christians are actually very good ground for um, sowing faith and for uh, helping to understand the the truth of Christianity. A nominal Christian, here's the thing, they at least agree to a Christian worldview, even though they're not living it. And so that is a much lower hurdle to actually preach the true gospel, have them understand their sin and their need to come to faith. So it actually was a good thing to have nominal Christianity because those people are much easier to bring the faith than people who are actually antagonistic. But the flow of culture has moved to more antagonism. But we didn't just go from positive to negative. There was a transition period. And that transition period is what Aaron Wren calls neutral world. And that was a a brief period of time that interestingly, uh, many of us our age and a little bit older or a little bit younger actually lived through. Mm -hmm. Like this was the majority of our teenage years and adulthood from about the early to mid nineties to 2014 or yeah, 2014. And we'll talk about what was so important about 2014, but this was a time that that 20 year period about where culture transitioned to a neutral world. And what that means is exactly what it says. The church is simply neutral. It was no longer viewed as a necessarily positive thing. So politicians no longer had to pretend to be Christians. People in nominal Christianity did start to fade away because there was no reason for it. You could, it was okay in culture to not be a Christian. Uh, but the church was not viewed antagonistically either. It was just neutral. It was an option for some. And so this uh, had a drastic effect on how people ended up doing ministry. And this is the the era we grew up in, mm-hmm. in terms of getting into ministry. Yeah. What's interesting is when we went from positive world to neutral world, there are just, there are even very small examples of what that looked mm-hmm. like. I remember I was raised playing little league in the, in the eighties and in the nineties there was a time in sports where there were no practices or games yeah. ever scheduled on Sunday. Why? Because people went to church on Sunday morning. During the 1990s, you saw a shift away from that because church attendance had begun to wane and people did not feel the need even to lie about their church attendance. They (laughs) said, well, if we're not going to be at church, let's play sports on Sunday. To where now, even as pastors, we see the tension in a lot of parents' lives where if your children are going to play league sports in any way, they're going to be expected to be there on Sundays. And so that was a small but really impactful, especially on the discipleship of your children, aspect of moving from positive world to neutral world, where people did not say anything negative about the fact that you were a you know church-going person or that yeah. you were a person of faith or that you were committed to being at church on Sundays. They just took away the relevance of it where culture was concerned, and they would say, well, since not everybody has that practice in their lives, we're not going to hold society at large accountable for things taking place on Sundays. And Neutral World was really the time where you began to see the separation from morality and public leaders. Um, Now church ministry shifted to where instead of just simply having a church, people are going to show up. Now people started having to use kind of creativity where their evangelism was Mm -hmm. concerned. And that's where the seeker-sensitive movement of church ministry came from, where the the contemporary model of church, where you change the music. It wasn't somebody just playing a piano and singing hymns. Sounded good, didn't sound good, didn't really matter because you were at church, so you were going to sing. Now they wanted to have a, you know, appealing 
format on the Sunday morning uh, um, service. And so the seeker-sensitive movement was strong, and it gave rise to a view of cultural engage- engagement where this new version of evangelism of being winsome was developed because you're engaging people that aren't necessarily Christians. So you need to avoid certain hot button issues so that you can win them to the things that everybody likes about Jesus. Yeah, it really was a a very different approach to ministry that caused churches that were embracing uh, neutral world really to Mm -hmm. stand out. And so what that ended up with is you had organizations uh, sprout up during this time, like the Gospel Coalition, uh, Tim Keller, Redeemer Church, Acts 29. A lot of these organizations very um, clearly focus on engaging the culture and and what and I'm not knocking that because it was a good strategy for a neutral world. So engaging the culture was understanding that we can't just keep doing church as we've done it because the culture is not just going to understand that. But the culture is not antagonistic to us for a large. I mean, what people need to understand is, of course, there were pockets that were. And of course, there were still pockets that were positive. But we're talking about on a broad scope. What happened in what Aaron Wren calls the neutral world is there became an obvious cultural separation yeah. between Christians and non-Christians, yeah. between believer and unbeliever. Right. Whereas unbelievers, non-Christians, became far more comfortable in lifestyles that opposed, not with force, but rather just where morals were concerned. It was a lifestyle that Christianity was very obviously against, where it was against things that the scriptures called you to. And so the winsome nature of cultural engagement that most people still use today that's ineffective, it was a way in which you were trying to seek people, you were trying to engage people who admittedly did not hold to Christianity, did not hold to a Christian worldview, even engaged in immoral things. It was a way to engage them without all of the trappings of the law of God, without all of the trappings of immediately telling someone that they were wrong in the way that they acted. Um, And then that saw a lot of success where that's where megachurches started uh, sprouting up. You know, that's that's really where um, kind of the the strategies of men like Tim Keller found great success in aiding people to have conversations about the gospel of Jesus Christ on neutral grounds, yeah. places that they could agree with, and then leave the other stuff to a later time. And the thing is, in neutral world, that other stuff came around mm-hmm. because there's not an antagonistic, you know, anti-Christian worldview at place. There was just kind of a, and that's why it's called neutral world. It was kind of like, yeah, Christianity is not for me, but, you know, this is my life. And if they could be brought to see their life really isn't working, they're not hostile to Christianity, well, then they can be brought to faith. And so that's the difference. As we transition to negative world, um, you don't have that foundation of neutrality anymore. Now there actually is a, a hostility to Christianity that cannot be bridged simply by um, conversations about what we have in common. Yeah, and in neutral world, people were comfortable with the differences. Yeah, right. So a non-Christian yeah. was comfortable right. with someone's faith if they were a Christian. It was a to-each-his-own yes. mindset. There really was a view of pluralism right. where we could have a neutrality between us where we're decent to one another, and the way that you view it's not good or bad. It's just different. And so there was a coexistence mentality 
between Christian and non-Christian alike. And we would, I know that when we were uh, kind of first planning our church, because we started this church really in part of neutral world Um, back in 2009. Things were just a little different. And we Mm. would use the phrase, you know, we're going to be theologically conservative and culturally liberal. I would never say that (laughs) now because it has taken on an entirely new meaning that is not neutral. What we meant by culturally liberal was not in any way an acceptance of lifestyles that were opposed to Christianity. What we were actually meaning was that there are neutral grounds that we can engage people on in which we don't have to deal with the offensive stuff. We don't have to deal with the stuff that's going to make people angry. You can engage them. You can find winsome ways. I remember, man, when we first started, I was teaching people how to have winsome conversations about the gospel (laughs) of Jesus Christ with unbelieving family members, no matter what they were dealing with, because there was still a way in which we could agree that there is a God. It's simply in the Acts 17, because we always pointed to Paul being winsome on Mars Hill, appealing to the unknown God. Jesus became the unknown God that people didn't know that they needed. And in neutral world, you would see a lot of success in that type of evangelism. But around 2014, everything changed. Um, We went to a place where it wasn't bygones be bygones. It wasn't there's a separation between I'm a Christian, you are a non-Christian, our cultures are different, that's great. Somewhere around 2014, and it really was, Aaron Wren points this out, it was around the time where gay marriage started becoming legal, where people in society who were opposed to Christianity because their lack of belief and because the tenets of Christianity in the law of God from Mm -hmm. the scripture opposed homosexuality, opposed transgenderism, opposed infidelity even, opposed a great deal of things where immorality was concerned, those on the other side decided Christians now are a net negative where society is concerned. And so whereas people would hide their sin because of Judeo-Christian ethic, now in 2014 forward, the Judeo-Christian ethic is seen as hateful. It's seen as harmful. It's almost seen as a disease that must be eradicated from society. Yeah, it is quite stark to see how much the culture began to change right at that date. And when you really start to look at what happened there and beyond. So when we say 2014, if you're thinking back, I remember 2015 and it was kind of nice. Like understand these things happen over time. So the proposition is that 2014 was basically when the, the scales finally tip. And we've only gone much further since then. And I think that's pretty clear. But yeah, yeah uh, Obergefell happened. Uh, you know, laws matter. Laws affect the morality of a country. And mm-hmm. so that had a downscale effect. Uh, one huge thing that happened, um, and we were very uh, up to date on this at the time, was uh, corporations and big businesses turned anti-Christian. And actually, one of the, the presenting cause of that was a law in Indiana that was basically protecting uh, churches and businesses from uh, LGBT uh, infringement on them and the corporations just destroyed it in, that, in a very conservative state. And so you can really see from that time on and you just, we all see it now in their advertising and in everything they put out. Um, the corporations are just consumed with uh, false ideology, wokeness, um, LGBT indoctrination. And th- that, had, that had never happened before because the corporations had understood until that point they needed to be neutral. Yeah, d- during the presidency of Barack Obama, you see this stark contrast between when he became president 
on record in an interview, he was opposed to gay marriage, said that it was something that was wrong, said it was something that was immoral because he wanted to appeal to a neutral society and win over people who couldn't land on the same place where he was in faith. Then into his presidency, and this is what happened in 2014, he was adamantly for gay marriage becoming legalized. And so what you saw in really just a short amount of time within one presidency, we saw society completely change its morals on the issue of homosexuality, where it was a gain for the majority of society. If you were opposed to gay marriage, politicians then reverted, reversed course and said, no, now it is a gain for us to be for gay marriage. That is a quick change in society that is unprecedented yeah. in the history of the world. Yeah, and people started to feel it. I mean, they started to feel it in their workplace where, you know, before it wasn't like for, for 20 years in neutral world, you know, it was okay to be a Christian. It wasn't something you prayed around. Now it became actively hostile. Mm -hmm. Now you could be accused of being a bigot. Um, you saw it in relationships with family members who disagreed. Now, rather than, you talked about the neutral space where we can, we can disagree, but we can still get along. Well, in negative world, you can no longer get along. And the reason for that is because then you're a bigot. And mm -hmm. that's why people need to understand, you know, we talk about gay marriage. Um, it's not that we're harping on that one issue. Is That's the issue that kind of flipped the switch on. It was the tipping point. Yeah, it was a tipping point to cause Christians rather to be a, a morality that we simply disagree with to a morality that's actively wrong and that causes you to be a bigot. Because bigots are not allowed in society. Right. Right. And so there, there can be no neutrality of that. If someone is a bigot. It means that they are hateful. It means that they need to be excluded. It means that their views are not welcome here. And so we've got to understand that that is going to have a dramatic effect on how you do ministry uh, in a negative world that views Christians that way. I mean, just think about it. Almost overnight, half of the country changed its entire sexual ethic. Yeah. Uh, where the opinion on gay marriage was concerned. It was almost overnight that half of the country said, no, this thing that was immoral for the first few hundred years of our country <laughs> is now moral, beautiful. But beyond yeah. that, what took it from neutral to negative was not necessarily people saying, I think it's okay. What took it from neutral to negative was that it had to be celebrated. Yeah. It's not enough for me to say it's okay. You have to now say it's okay. And so what we shifted from was a place where Christianity and the Judeo-Christian ethic had a great deal of really force, peer pressure, influence in yeah. society. Things flipped to where now the opposite of the Judeo-Christian ethic is seen as that which much must hold down yeah. the Judeo-Christian ethic because the Judeo-Christian ethic is seen as something that is now immoral to many people, yeah. even though... We know that the opposite is true. Well, it's right. not about the fact that we know the opposite is true. It's about who is the dominant force in a given society. For a long time, it was Christianity. Now it's the opposite of Christianity. Yep. Yeah. It's it's not only that um, Christianity is not true. It's that it's actively 
bad. Yeah. And that's what we have to understand. It's like you, you have to understand if you put the Christian faith out into society, it's not just a mere disagreement that we can have a conversation about and that we can hope to win you over over time as we talk. No, you're immediately immoral. You're, you're in we, went, we went from a place matters. where church ministry speaking and think about a difference in evangelistic outreach. Yeah. When we first started our church, people would contact us to ask us what our views of homosexuality yeah. were to get the answer that we believe it is a sin. Now we get contacted by people asking us what our views of homosexuality are to ensure that we're not those hateful bigots that would ever say homosexuality is a sin. That really happens. That is how quickly society has shifted where this church has only existed for almost 13 years. I'll even go farther to explain neutral world. It doesn't happen all the time, but at least three or four times in those first five years of the church, we were contacted by practicing homosexuals asking us about the views of our church. And when we told them we hold to the Christian sexual ethic, they did not immediately shut us down. Mm -hmm. They kind of, they responded with basically, well, I figured that was true, but am I welcome there? And we were able to say yes. We were able to say, yes, of course, you're welcome to come hear the gospel. Um, in one of those cases, it ended up with a very long relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that does not happen anymore. Now the answer is immediately, oh, well, you guys are evil bigots. I'll find a church that welcomes. In the 90s, people would hide the fact that they were homosexuals from their family, from their employers, because they believed it would hold them back where yeah. society is concerned. I have an example now of someone who has become a homosexual so that they could have more intersectional points where standpoint epistemology is concerned. We have people now, instead of converting to Christianity for gain, they will convert to homosexuality for gain in society. That's how far we've come in a very short amount of time. And we should say, too, this negative world has just progressed. And we all understand. Look, the people who said it was going to progress were correct. So... You know, gay marriage seems so far long ago. Now we're talking about what is a man. Now we're talking about what is a woman. Um, now we're just we're confused about gender. We're allowing men to wreck women's sports. Uh, we're allowing men to be in private places where they shouldn't be with women and even underage girls. And now and this is real and people need to understand this. Um, there is an active push to normalize pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you call me crazy. I can show you the posts on social media. It is happening right now, and it is going to happen more and more. That's where we're headed. Well, it's funny, the conversations that I'll have with people who don't want to deal with this. They want to treat everything like it's business as usual. Schools are the same as they were in 1985. You know, there's just some great people. If you just think about in the early 90s, late 80s, that was the era where sexual education really became a thing. Yeah. Before, and that's one of the ways in which we entered into neutral world. Right. It's because that was unthinkable yeah. uh, before that era, where I remember when the Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas video uh, <laughs> came out where they're teaching kids about safe sex. And and it was a huge controversy, right. not not in, we're not talking about the 700 Club. I'm talking about NBC Nightly News. Right. I remember as a teenager watching the reports with my dad where the controversy of giving condoms to public school students was just a huge deal yep. in society, not inside of the church, in society at large. And many within the church said, that's the red line. Once teachers start giving students condoms, and instead of talking about abstinence, talk about safe heterosexual sex, <laughs> that's the red line. Now we got to pull them out. Well, we've come to a place now where in kindergarten, we have multiple examples from inside of the state of Virginia 
where now public school teachers as early as kindergarten are not talking about safe sex practices. They're talking about gender identity. They're talking about the fact that you can be a boy on the yeah. outside, but on the inside, we know that you're a girl. Yeah. And we're not going to tell your parents. You know, they'll have a transitioning closet where they can come to school. There's a yeah. change of clothes so that a boy can become a girl in a safe space. Yeah. That is a huge example of what negative world looks like. Right. Gender roles, as given by God, are not just practiced, or excuse me, rejected. Teachers are now taking it upon themselves to become the pastors and parents of their kids to groom them towards sexual perversion. Yeah. And if you look at what just happened in Florida with right. the law that is a righteous law that by Democrats was called, you know, something silly that wasn't even in the bill, but rather it, it's a law to say, Teachers have no business talking about sexual identities with children, yep. which if you don't agree with that, you're nuts. You're right. not a Christian. Yeah. You desperately need to repent of your sin. But this bill was passed. And instead of saying, that's a good moral thing, yep. so many people have risen up to win in society by saying, oh, my goodness, that's a dangerous precedent. Yeah. That was the precedent. <laughs> For thousands of Common years. Sense, right. Yeah. So that's where we're at. And so, I mean, we could, it, it, I, people need to open their eyes because we could keep going on with story after story after story of just how negative world is in our face, in the culture, in the schools and corporations. But why does this matter? Like, why does this framework matter for how we approach church ministry and how us as Christians and everyone we're talking to right now needs to approach discipleship with their kids, discipleship with their friends and family out in the real world. Well, a lot of conflict right now is going on within evangelicalism as a whole. Mm -hmm. Church leaders are in conflict as to how to deal with this issue. I know that in our uh, denomination, yeah. uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, there really are two very clear camps one by which wants to continue to maintain that we're in a neutral world yeah. and that we need to order our business so that the world will, in a sense, like us. That's the camp that constantly makes statements like, oh, the world is watching, you know, that that type right. of thing. And then there is a, a side that we, you know, admittedly yeah. are on that's trying to help people understand that our cultural engagement, if you're going to use that phrase, it has to change. The view of it has to change. The strategy of it has to change because ministry that worked in neutral world will shipwreck people's faith in a negative world. Yeah. Uh, there is no common ground with people who are actively trying to destroy faith. Yeah. Um, so what that looks like is a neutral world strategy um, that was, and we talked about this, it was to kind of downplay differences, get a conversation going, get people to come into the church, see the goodness of the gospel. In some ways that was, and I want to admit this now, that was probably always a little bit of a flawed strategy, mm -hmm. um, but it did work because people just had kind of a neutral mentality. Well, it was proven to be a flawed strategy because the most successful person at it was right. Bill Hybels at Willow right. Creek Church. And, and I'm, you're talking about a church that had tens of thousands yeah. of people in it. And they did a, a very in-depth study of the lives of the people right. that had come to faith and been discipled in their church, and they found out that this strategy of the neutral world had failed miserably, and it did not create 
faithful yeah. followers of Jesus, it created nominal Christians. Exactly. So that was always flawed, but you could kind of get away with it. You cannot get away with it anymore because if you go out into the culture to t- try to discuss these things, fundamentally Christians are bigots. And so if you downplay that truth about what you believe, um, you're not faithful to the faith. And if you don't downplay it, people are never going to give you a hearing. So you're just, you're not going to get mm-hmm. anywhere with the culture, with a neutral world strategy of trying yeah. to appeal. And and even things. if to get specific, like there, Tim Keller in um, his, uh, his textbook of church planting, which was called Center Church, came out in 2012, uh, which was like, that was right around when things were starting to change. Yeah. And this is what his life of ministry in New York City had grown to build. It gives us this idea that cultural engagement is about finding a third way yeah you had to kind of not be conservative not be a liberal find the center ground by which you can relate to both conservatives republicans democrats moral immoral you had to find common ground with people you're gonna you see this uh where the strategies of places like hillsong church are concerned um russell moore is a huge advocate of this failed strategy um there's a congressman by the name of ben sass who comes out who has come out with a book basically of how to raise your kids in a neutral world uh, with judeo-christian ethics that aren't too offensive to the outside world and it's ultimately a failed strategy that has been found to leave children very vulnerable to false doctrine, to pagan ideologies, yeah. uh, to the arguments of people who would say, no, Christianity has not been a gain because the people that you're trying to engage, it turns into you try to empathize with people who are living lives against the faith. And so you compromise wherever you need to compromise in order to make them feel good about themselves and think that you're a nice person. And the hope is that through your faithful presence, without confronting them over a long period of time with their sin and with their false views, that magically, because you're so nice, it's just going to make them Christians. And it's been found to not work. Yeah. What the big change, and there's a couple changes, but the big change I think that negative world brings on is we have to view Christian discipleship differently now, especially with our children. Because as you just said, in a, in a neutral world, and it was still dangerous in a neutral world, but in a neutral world, there is some hope that the culture would not actively take our kids away from the faith. Yeah. Very, very different in positive world. Now in a negative world, we have to be much more proactive about instilling the truths of the faith with our kids because the culture that they are in and cannot get away from, although we can protect them from it in many ways, but still the culture that they are in is going to be teaching them eventually that Christians are bigots, that being a Christian is negative. And so our engagement with our kids has to take priority over and against our engagement with um, the rest of the world. And I do not apologize for that. I think, and this is where a lot of evangelical leaders are getting in big trouble right now from a neutral world strategy. If you don't think that you have a trade-off to make between your ability to reach the secularist down the street and your kids, you're crazy. There absolutely is a trade-off that now comes where if I uh, downplay the truth at all to reach that secularist, I am going to damage my kids' faith in them not understanding how mm-hmm. critical the importance of truth, uh, the Christian faith is. And so we have to live in that reality. It's not a good thing 
it's one thing that we're trying to like the negative world is not good yeah but we have to be realists well and it changes and we're going to do an episode about this this is this is basically going yeah. to become and we've already planned this out yeah. a, a three part yep. uh, series on dealing with life in the neutral world this was one of the failures of what was called the missional movement right. which we were very much a part of uh, really between about 2007 all the way up to probably about 2000 16 or so. Yeah. Um, one of the great failures is that it did not teach you how to disciple your children. It treated all discipleship and evangelism as an external reaching of yeah. people who didn't have faith, but it never dealt with the reality of as you are engaging the culture around you, how do you prevent that culture from evangelizing your children? And so we've seen a huge failure of the missional movement in that regard. And it's important that I don't want to miss this, yeah. that in 2018, there was a guy named Rod Dreher, who's not an evangelical Christian. Yeah. He wrote a book. He's a conservative thinker called The Benedict Option. Um, and he was probably on the forefront, especially at least where popular authors are concerned. Yeah. He was on the forefront of actually seeing what was happening in society because he wrote a lot about politics, a lot about cultural issues. And in dealing with the Benedict Option, he basically looked at people who claimed to be conservative Christians and said, you need a plan for what you're going to do where the negative world is concerned. And he basically warned the church by saying, you no long, you can no longer just be a part of the system to engage people. Right. You need to form a separate system where education is concerned, even where some economic realities are concerned, and focus on building Christian culture where you are in order to disciple even people in the negative world. Yeah, and what happened when he came out with this, to our shame, evangelical leaders, because Roger is not an evangelical, um, but he is a Christian, but he's not an evangelical. And um, a lot of the evangelical leaders completely rejected his thesis and said, oh no, that's disengaging from the world. That's retreating. That's, that's running away from culture. And it was not. Mm-hmm. And this is so critical to understand for the episodes that we're going to do next. What a right understanding of negative world does is best position you to actually reach the culture. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is if we don't build robust Christian communities for the church, which I talk a lot about our children because we care a lot about our children, but it's bigger than that. It's every member of the church. If we don't build robust Christian communities for them, we're never going to be able to reach the world around us because the world around us is going to in negative world, sweep them away. Yeah, one of, one of the most important things that we were trained in where missional living was concerned comes from a, a missiologist and, um, and a missionary from many years ago. His name was Leslie Newbigin. And Leslie Newbigin had this way of reading the changing contexts so that we can adjust our missional strategy. Yeah. And what we're facing right now is a very quickly evolving context but evangelical leaders doing what they've always done, yeah, refusing to change. If our missional strategy does not change based on the changing tide of culture around us, we're going to reach no one. Yeah. We're not going to be ready for what is ahead. Yeah. We've got to actually be missional yeah. in our mindset so that we can adjust our practices. Yeah. And that's what so many people are failing to do. Pastors don't get right what's actually happening because they just don't get what's happening to people at work. Yeah. I, we have heard so many stories. We're having to coach guys through 
what is happening where sexual identity is concerned at work where people are losing promotions. Yeah. They're losing, they have to gain certain points in certain areas mm-hmm. where intersectionality yeah. is concerned. They have to be allies for right. people who are engaging in what scripture point blank calls immoral lifestyles. Yeah. And they're struggling to know what to do. And the answer is not as simple as, well, be winsome. Right. It's not that simple. And so we have to adjust. Yeah, we've got to adjust. And uh, pastors are just failing their people right now with assuming that they still live in the negative world mm-hmm. that they kind of grew up in. Um, when it, uh, I'm sorry, neutral world, when actually the world is negative. It changes how we do ministry. Um, all right. You want to read this verse or some of it? Because I think we do have a verse for this. Yeah. <laughs> prof- yeah. No, we haven't. We haven't. We usually bring scripture yeah. into it and we saved it kind of for the end because a lot of this was an introduction. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is a prophecy in scripture, I think, for neutral world pastors in a negative world. Yep. And I'm going to read a good chunk of this because it's, 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 it, is, it is prophetic for our culture. Mm. It's from Ezekiel 13, starting in verse 8. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, Will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord." That is a stark warning for many leaders who are trying to put a false veneer yeah. on a very disease-ridden culture. Yeah. Do not say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Do not smear whitewash on a wall that needs to be understood. We are different from the culture. The culture is negative, and that has a dramatic impact on how we disciple Christians and how we witness to the world. I'm, all I'm going to say is I would hate to be on the end of smearing whitewash mm. on something that God point blank says, I'm yeah. going to destroy it. Yeah. I would hate to be on that end. Yep. Here's how I kind of want to wrap this up. And then, yeah, there we're going to build on this idea in the next couple of podcasts. Negative world is not hopeless, but going right off of that prophecy in Ezekiel, it needs to be confronted with reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, piously spiritualizing everything helps no one. And what I mean by that is um, being concerned about a situation does not mean that we don't trust God. Like acknowledging all these things that happened in 2014 that have now just accelerated since then does not mean we don't trust God. We fully trust God with the future, but we want to be faithful within that. Persecution's not good. People need to be helped in persecution. Mm -hmm. And you said it, and I want to affirm this. People in corporate jobs are being persecuted right now. 
can it look a lot worse? Of course it can, and we're headed yeah. there. But it is persecution that's happening right now. Leaders that deny that, one of two things. They're either lying they just don't know anyone that's yeah. in corporate America. <laughs> yeah. And and they've disqualified themselves. Yeah. Like that's happening. And then cultural degeneracy is not good. It is not good yeah. for the culture to, to not uh, affirm Christian morality. Um, and the culture is going to change. It's going to come back. I believe the, the future is Christian, yeah. but we got to get there. Um, so the most important thing is just bringing it right back to where we started for people to recognize the speed of change, that change has happened, Absolutely. and that we've got to address it head on. We have to be real. Yep. We have to do the work of apologetics is defending the faith. And we need to do the real work of evangelism. And people are failing that by pretending evangelism is as simple as just being present while the world is causing compromise in your life. Evangelism is a lot different than most people in our culture think. As always, we thank you for joining us for the Converge podcast. Do us a favor, give us a five-star review and leave a few sentences of review wherever you view podcasts. That would help us a lot in furthering this. Also, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Have a great day.